Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Well, I am glad that you are here today. I'm glad that your car and was working better than uh, our projection system, so... Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. So it's good to have you here. And uh, the kids have gone over into the junior church. You know, we have three teams who work over in there. Uh, Anna Mollett's over there today teaching, and Natasha teaches in there, and Missy Martinez teaches in there. And they do a great job ministering to those kids. And they teach them at their level. We have Bible classes that do that. In fact, we have a Bible class that meets in here that Tim teaches uh, that works for adults. Even if you have a Ph.D., you can come and learn in that class. Uh, It's a blessing to learn and grow in the Lord. And uh, so take advantage of those opportunities that God brings into your life where you can learn and grow in his word. So uh, this morning we're going to be looking in James chapter 5. You can uh, turn or click over there and we'll be there shortly. Fifteen years ago I read a book. I've read a lot since then, but you know. uh, But this book that I was reading said these words. A fascinating study done by Professor Vicki Medvek reveals the relative importance of subjective attitudes over and above objective circumstances. Subjective means you figure it out on the inside. Objective means it just exists, all right? So the, the attitudes are vitally important, more than just what's seen. Uh, the, the professor studied Olympic medalists, and she discovered that bronze medalists were th- way more happy to earn a bronze medal than silver medalists were to earn a silver medal even though silver's above bronze. You have bronze and then silver and then gold. But the reason was what they were looking at. The silver medalist was looking at the difference between them and gold and thinking, I was so close to best. And they were disappointed to have silver. But the bronze medalist was looking at all the other people who didn't medal and they said I was so close to that but I got a medal and they were wildly excited to get the medal and then she writes how we feel isn't circumstantial it is perceptual our feelings are determined by our subjective focus so This is why when guys are hungry, it's really a bad time to bring up a conversation. My my kids used to tell Kathy sometimes, Mom, feed the bear. And then after I'd eaten, then they would talk to me. Uh, And James, throughout this book, James is challenging our behavioral norms, the normal process of human behavior on planet Earth. And James is calling us to higher, more noble, more righteous, more godly attitudes and behaviors that we would focus on life from a spiritual perspective so that we would see things the way God would have us. 
James wants us to look at the world from an eternal perspective, not just from today, not just from right now. What happens to a lot of us is we get focused on the right now. So I'm thinking about, you know, my next meal. I'm not thinking about 40 years from now, how will I wish I have eaten over the course of my life to give me the strength? Although (laughs) for me, 40 years from now is not likely, but it could happen. I've known people older than I would be then. Uh, But James wants us to focus on an eternal, long-term perspective that goes way beyond this life. Now, the older you are, the easier that is, right? I mean, you know, you got fewer years ahead than you got behind. And so you know that it's, it's coming sooner. Those of you who are really young, it's harder for you to think that way. But James is saying, all believers need to think this way. And in this book, he's given us some challenge to face and overcome temptation. He calls us to be doers of the word to be anti-prejudiced. He reminds us of the difficult challenge of controlling our mouth. How many of you at some point this year said something you wish you hadn't said it that way? Anybody? You know, is it just Kathy or is it every? No. (laughs) Actually, I think she probably did at one point this year, but I do it way more than she does. So uh, he wants us to be both genuine and spiritual in our prayers. So our prayers are not gimme, 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 but connecting with God to overcome greed and covetousness. He writes in chapter 4 about not boasting in the future. He writes about doing the next right thing, about the lure and lust for money that he brings out in the beginning of chapter 5 and taking advantage of other people that we're not supposed to do. And he brings that out as well. So when we get to the part of chapter 5 we're going to read this morning, James calls us to do what for some people is a very difficult task. But for those of us who know Christ, this is easy, right? James calls us to be patient. That is so easy for those of us who know Jesus, right? Not. It's a challenge. It's difficult. In fact, somebody once told me, I'd never, I have never met a patient pastor, and they knew me. So uh, it's a difficult task to be patient, even to be even-tempered, even during times of stress and trying circumstances, to be long-suffering. So look in James chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Do you think he's trying to get our attention? He's saying it multiple times. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Hey, you kids that have siblings here, listen. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Think that through. Look what else he says. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So James is challenging us to be patient. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful that you are way more patient than we are, that you, in your love and in your mercy, you showed grace to us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for the salvation we can have by asking Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and save our souls. We thank you that you adopt us into your family, and we thank you that you then challenge us to grow. It doesn't matter what age we are, we still have room for growth while we're here breathing on planet Earth. And I pray that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I pray that we would grow in the discipline of patience. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of ironic that the focus is on patience this morning because with the system not working and I had to grab some hymnals and I brought in a stack of hymnals and I wanted Anna and Leah to help me and I was going around and Kathy said, you're looking very intense this morning. That was my patient face. You should have seen my non-patient face. No, uh, but, but sometimes it's impossible to be patient. If you are an EMT and they've called you, and you have to show up because somebody's had a heart attack, you don't take your time with things like Mr. Rogers used to sing, I like to take my time with things. You grab it and you run. So when it's urgent and there's an intensity, that's okay. But not everything is urgent. We need to take time. And James gives us a great illustration in verse 7. What is it? It's a farmer and his crops. It takes time to grow a crop. How much time? Depends on the crop, but even a quick crop takes months. Now, I like to go for walks in the morning, and I walk out on uh, farm roads, uh, some of them on the east side of I-10, some on the west side of I-10, and I walk along, and I, I watch the farmers. Sometimes they'll wave at me, and I'll wave at them, and, and uh, I see them working in the fields and, and uh, doing things out there. And so I've watched the process of what they go through. I never lived on a farm. I briefly spent time on a farm as a kid, uh, but I didn't live there. But I've watched. And so they do equipment and seed prep before they ever get ready to planting. And then they do the soil preparation and the tilling. And they go through and they got these rotors that just churn up the soil and break it up. And, and then they go through and planting the seed and, and then watering. Now, some of them have these big, huge sprinklers. There's some out here and up by Quartzen on the east side here. And they have these massive sprinklers that big round ones and they just swing along and and then they have this extension that goes out when they get to the corner of the field and it sprays out that corner part and others uh, they have uh, trenches or uh, culverts or uh, that that they pour the water in and in those uh, 
canals, they, they pour the water in and then they go along and they, they have these really high-tech devices uh, called tubes of just plastic and rubber tubes and they get them under the water and then they pull them out and that siphons the water out of the canal or the culvert and it pulls it up and then floods it out into the field. And so I've seen them doing both on the fields around here. And then they spray. And sometimes they spray with crop dusters. Those are fun to watch. They come down really low. And, and we live in a place where there's fields just south of our house. And so they would zoom up over the house sometime. They'd come diving into spray and, and then zoom up over the house. And I've watched them out there, and they go right under the telephone wires. They just really low to the ground. And, and uh, one time I was walking through the middle of a field when they started to spray that field. And I thought, eek! And I quickly turned around and went really fast to get out of that field. But uh, now sometimes when they spray, they have these big machines that are like tractors they are up in the air. In fact, one time uh, we were at an intersection here in town and a guy on a motorcycle rode right underneath one of those things. And uh, he was a little bit crazy, but he looked like he was having fun and it went right up underneath. But great big thing, they sit up really high and they're widespread and they can adjust the width of the legs to go with the the uh, grooves in the field, and then they have sprayers that come off. So some of them use the planes, and some of them use the what they call the hydraulic sprayers. They use those. And, and then they're watering, and they're watching, and they're evaluating, and they're testing. And you see them going through and, and looking at and feeling it and knowing by touch whether it's ready or not. And then if it's cotton, they come in and they spray again. And they spray with something that uh, takes away the plants. And so the, the, the leaves and the plant just kind of shrivel up and what's left is big puffy cotton balls. And it looks like the skeleton of a plant with puffy cotton balls after that chemical has done its thing. And then after months of work, they finally get to that harvesting part. And uh, then they're shipping and everything else they have to do before they actually get paid for it. But I've watched, and in the fields around here, they're not massive fields. They're fairly small. Some of them are a mile square, but, but those are the bigger ones. Some of them are smaller than that. And so they're not massive fields. And so they plant in one day, and they harvest in one day. But in between, there's a lot of days between the planting and the harvesting. The farmers are waiting for the growth for the rain, for the time, waiting for the har- to harvest the crop. And so what are you waiting for? What are you patient for? What are you waiting for? Look at verse 8. He says, be patient. Now, by the way, in uh, verse 7, when he's talking about the early and latter rains, they're not talking about farming in Casa Grande, Arizona. They're talking about farming in Israel. And they had a, a rainy season at the beginning of the planting, so the, the plant, they put the seed in there and soak it, and then the, at the end of it. And uh, we tend to have to irrigate our fields. And our fields either get no water or they get too much when we have a massive monsoon that tears up the plants. But, but there they had a growth, a planting cycle. And so they'd plant, and then they'd wait for the latter rain. And after the latter rain, then the crop would really flourish and do well. It's kind of like, you know, if you want to put it in something you could understand, breakfast and dinner. 
You, you got your breakfast and you got your dinner. And so if you didn't have a, at least a second meal that day, you wouldn't be worth very much after several hours after the first one. And so they needed both rains to have a functioning, thorough, good crop, which makes you remember when Elijah prayed and God sent a drought for three and a half years. How devastating that would have been to the people in Israel and what a call to repentance it was. And as soon as they repented, God sent rain. So uh, verse 8, he says, Be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When did James write this? Before or after the year A.D. 100? Before. How do we know that? Well, (laughs) we have some historical records and they can evaluate about when it was. So James wrote this during what's called the first century of uh, A.D. or the common era. It's the first century. And he said what? The coming of the Lord is at hand. How long has it been since 100? It's been 2,000 years. So there are people who think, you know, he's not coming. You guys ought to just give up. You keep saying every generation you say the Lord could come back in this generation, and yet he hasn't come back yet. It's still at hand. See, the way James is writing about it, there's nothing between now and then except God's determination. The Lord could come back today. He could call us up to meet him in the clouds today. Boom, we'd be there with him. And then Richard and I would sing a duet and you guys would enjoy hearing it because we'd have our heavenly bodies and our heavenly voices, right, Richard? (laughs) And, And so, boom, we'd be there. It's at hand. There's nothing to stop the Lord coming back. There's nothing in his prophetic calendar that needs to take place. So we need to focus on that. Focus on that day and being ready for that day. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind, set your affection, focus your attention on things above not on things on the earth. God wants you to be heavenly minded. So tune your heart like you would tune a radio station uh, and, and focus on your opportunity to be ready for the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your heart. Strengthen your heart. Have a firm determination and internal resolution that, that God's coming is at hand. Now, if you study prophecy in Scripture a little bit and you look at the events in our world a little bit, you're going to see that it seems like the Lord's coming is very close. I remember hearing that preached in 1970. So God's timetable is not yours. Don't you wish? Actually, I'm really glad I don't have any control over God's timetable because then... I, you know, he'd mess up other people's lives because it worked for me. God works on his own timetable. And he is working and he is coming. The end of your life on earth is certain. We don't know when it will be, but we know it's 
certain. We know it's coming. So as we're thinking about the end of our life on earth, and as we're thinking about the difficulties that we go through in life, we need to be patient. Be patient. I don't know if everybody in this room has had health issues, but those of you who have had health issues, sometimes they linger for a long time. Sometimes you have surgery and it gets better. I remember that Evelyn Friend and I both had knee replacement surgery. Mine was a little before hers and then she had hers. And it was almost three months before I could walk normally after my knee replacement. But Evelyn was doing it in like three weeks. And uh, God allows you to have more difficulties than some other people. But you know what? We both got beyond it. It's in the past. It's funny, every time I have any kind of health issue, people say, is it your knees? <laughs> no, this one's great. It's titanium. Uh, this one's pretty good. It's just old. Uh, but you know what? God gets you through the problems of life, no matter what they are. And God will get you through this. So set your affection on things above. The end of your life on earth is certain. There's a day when the Lord will take you home. We would all like it to be the day he takes us all together, right? We're, I'm tired of this pieces part, you know. I keep losing people I love to death, and I'm really tired of that. I'd love for us all to go be with the Lord together. That would be awesome. But the Lord's in charge of that. So he wants us to focus on heaven. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your heart. Focus your heart on the coming of the Lord. So how do you focus on heaven? Well, you think about it. That's where it starts. You think about it. Uh, an older preacher once said, he wakes up in the morning and he sits up in bed and puts his feet on the floor, and he feels disappointed that he's still here and not there. Because Paul said, to be there is far better than to be here. To be with the Lord is the best thing. And so the last few weeks of my brother-in-law's life, he and my sister would talk to each other about heaven and they were reading Randy Alcorn's book about heaven and they were reading the Bible passages about heaven and they were thinking about it and they were talking about it and they were looking forward to it. And, and he said he wanted to be better prepared because he was going to live there very soon. And now he is. So think about heaven. Think about what it will be like. And then read your Bible. Focus on the scripture. It turns your heart and your thoughts toward the Lord. Memorizing scripture. You can memorize some of the scriptures about heaven and, and focus on that and think about that. And then talk to the Lord about heaven. Thank him that you'll be there someday. You know, um, when you stand at, at a memorial service, and I've been at a lot of them in my life, and at that memorial service, you think about God going and preparing a place for you. When I was a kid, we moved a lot. Dad was in the Air Force, and the Air Force moved us. I think by the time I went to, well, by the time my sister was in second grade, she had already been in school 
in four different states. Um, so we moved a lot, especially when I was younger. And then uh, thankfully they settled down when we stayed in one place all through uh, eighth grade and all through high school. So that's where I got to meet Kathy. And so that was a blessing in my life. But when we moved, there were times when my dad would have to transfer ahead. And we he tried to get it where we would move in the middle of the school year, either at Christmas or in the summer, one of the two. It didn't always work out, but that's what he would try. And so several times, dad would go ahead to a community, look around in the community, find a house, buy the house, and then we would pack up and we would move, and we would go to that house. I think the first house that my mom got to pick was the very last house they lived in. All the others, dad went ahead and bought the house and, and did a decent job. Mom was happy with the houses, especially loved, she especially loved the one in Albuquerque. But, but you know what? The Lord's preparing a place for you. And if the Lord prepares a place for you, guess what? He builds it with you in mind. He's not building something that, oh, this is generic stuff. This will work for John or Jeff or Tim or whatever. No, he's building specific stuff that will work and be best for you. So thank him that you'll be there someday. Thank him that you'll be pain-free someday. Thank him that you won't have to struggle against sin that you won't have to discipline your body or your mind to follow the Lord. Rejoice that you'll be able to see him, see Jesus in his glory, and then live in a way you will wish you had lived on that day. See, what we do this day, we should be prepared for that day so that we're If today is the day, we'll be found in faithfulness. And if today is not the day, we'll earn rewards toward that day. So turn your attention toward the things that really matter, the things that God will reward in heaven. A lot of Christians are obsessed with the things of life on earth. They're super focused on politics. They're super focused on finance. They're super focused on their retirement package. You know what? God's got a great retirement package for you. It's out of this world. It's an awesome retirement. You're going to be in heaven with the Lord forever. Focus on that. Then verse 9, he says, Don't grumble against one another lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Don't be a grumbler, no groaning, no fussing, no complaining, no belly aching. Uh, Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When your thoughts are focused on Christ and on eternity, you can handle the difficulties of the day. Uh, This is a card that was given out at my uh, best friend's memorial service. Jeff Rule passed away on September 19th, had his memorial service. It was just Monday, wasn't it? Wow, it's been a crazy busy week. Uh, But this is a text that Jeff sent to a friend, and I'm going to read part of this. 
Trust in Jesus and Jesus only for forgiveness of your sins and your personal individual salvation. And there will be nothing on this earth that you should ever fear, my brother. Now, he did a couple of dangerous jobs. He was an underwater welder. He was inside a metal tube under Long Beach Harbor welding when it sparked, which usually kills the welder. Uh, And then when he got over that job, he got a much safer job, border patrol, on the border in Chula Vista, California. Not that much safer, but here's what he said. This is how I was able to do my job those many years, never once fearing anything seen or unseen, not because I was brave, but because I knew, believed, and trusted him with my life and my eternal soul completely. That was just a routine text that he sent to a friend. So we focus on the Lord and we focus on eternity and we think about heaven and it helps us through the difficulties of this day. Even if your day is miserably painful, agonizing, even if it's a lonely day, you think about that day and you'll be with the Lord and you'll be with other believers who love the Lord and you'll be rejoicing and singing praise to Christ together. You think about that day. And he said, the judge is standing at the door. It's like the Lord is ready. He's waiting for the right time. And he's observing everything. And the Lord is observing you. Then he gives us another illustration, not just the farmer to wait patiently, but let's look at the prophets. Verse 10. He says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering Patient, of suffering and patience. Um, Aiden and I were just talking about this just this last week. Uh, we were talking about the prophets and all they had to endure. And you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and what he had to suffer. And then Ezekiel had to lay on his side for more than a year. And, and then you look at uh, all of the prophets. Hosea had to marry somebody that he wouldn't have chosen to marry, but that's what God told him to do. And so then I was also thinking about King David, how he was anointed to become king when he was a teenage boy, a teenage guy, not boy. He was almost man size. And, and then he went and defeated Goliath, and he had fame and popularity, and everybody loved him, and it would have just been the ideal time for him to step into the kingdom. But that's not what happened. He didn't become king for another 15 years. He went through heartache and hiding and uh, living in caves and living in foreign lands before he finally became the king. And then in verse 11, he talks about Job. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, the patience of Job, and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Job had horrible problems an unimaginable heartache. And yet his life before that day was really good. And a while after that day, his life got good again. So for the majority of Job's life on earth, he was a blessed individual. And yet he had horrific days in between. And you might have horrific days someday. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Be 
patient. You will live to see the victory in Christ. Maybe in this life, as Job was able to see, maybe in the life to come, as what happened to John the Baptist, you will live to see the victory. Be patient. So what are you waiting for? The farmers are waiting for that crop. The prophets were waiting for the day of Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? What's the longing of your heart? When you wake up in the morning, what's the heartbeat? What's the desire? Do you think, maybe this day could be the day? And when you go to bed at night, do you think, maybe tonight will be the night? See, we need to think about heaven more. James started this chapter talking about rich people who were consumed with wealth, who abused other people to get more wealth. And he's saying, don't you live like that. Don't focus on the things of earth. Focus on the things to come. That's easier said than done, isn't it? We have difficult days. We have hard days. And some of you that are over age 50, you know, when you get up in the morning, not the, all the body parts that were working fine when you went to sleep might not be working well this morning for a while. That just happens. But you know, someday you're going to have a glorified body with no pain and no suffering and no sickness and no sorrow. And look forward to that day. And And as you go through your day, think about that day when you'll be with the Lord. You know, you can set a timer on your phone to go off every hour and let it just ping. And when you hear that ping, think, oh, what if that was the Lord's trumpet calling me home? Maybe you can even set it to a trumpet sound. I don't know. You might drive your coworkers nuts. But, but, you know, focus on that day. That's what gets us through this day, is knowing that day's coming. Like the musician who practices or the athlete who works out, we know the day is coming when we will be so glad we put in that time. And now we can put in that time because the day is coming when we'll be with the Lord. We'll be so glad we focused on Him. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.